All right, we have been working through a little series called Putting God First, and uh, we're going to finish that off today, and next week we are going to begin a series on hearing God, and we're going to spend about six weeks to seven weeks on that. We'll take a little break for Christmas, Uh, but if you are someone who just really wants to grow in hearing God's voice, then then come out next week, starting next week. Uh, I will guarantee if you hang with us through the series... You will be someone who is hearing God's voice every single day. And this is what we are called to be as Christians, people who who hear God's voice and follow what He is saying and walk in His ways. And so next week, I'm super stoked about that. We are going to be talking about uh, hearing God. But today, we're going to finish up uh, talking about the blessing of putting God first. Before we do, just take a moment in the quietness of your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you in this time. a bit of review on last week. Uh, Last week we talked about how uh, God is a good God and He's a good Father. And just like any good father, uh, a good father wants to bless his kids. And God really does want to bless us. Uh, But as we talked about, His primary reason for wanting to bless us is not so we can become more selfish and self-absorbed. I mean, we have enough of that already in us. He wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others and a blessing to the kingdom. Uh, He wants us to be more effective for His kingdom. He wants us to be uh, walking greater in the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be just blessed, blessed, blessed so that we can be a conduit of blessing to others. And we talked about this principle last week, about uh, what it means to be blessed. To be blessed means having God's supernatural power working for you. When you're blessed, this is the idea in the Scripture, that God's supernatural power is working for you. And so if you're blessed in an area, it means God's supernatural power is at work in in that area or in your life. On the other hand, to not be blessed, or as sometimes the Bible talks about being cursed, is having God's supernatural power work against you. And that's the last place any of us ever want to be in, is having God's supernatural power work against us. We want to be people who are walking in God's blessing where His supernatural power is working for us. And we talked about how just by being in Christ, we are incredibly blessed. When you just turn, give your life to Jesus and you surrender to Him and you begin to follow Him, there is so much blessing that falls on you just because you're following Jesus. But we also talked about how even though you are a Christian, there can be times when you are not putting God first, which actually results in us having God's supernatural power work against us. That even as Christians, there can be times when God's supernatural power is working against us because we are not putting God's first, because He is trying to draw us back to to Him. And we looked at this verse, for instance, in James 4. It says, God opposes. This is an action word. God is supernaturally working against you. God opposes the proud. If you want to have God work against you, one way to do that is to walk around in pride. Just be, defend yourself whenever someone points anything out. Just be angry. Just, just, just uh, you know, just don't be humble and you'll find that God's supernatural power works against you. However, he says, he gives favor. The word, the Greek word is grace to the humble. 
that when you walk humbly, His supernatural power begins to work for you. So even as believers, even though we are incredibly blessed in Jesus, and I'm not trying to lessen that one bit, there are times, whether we're walking in obedience or not, or putting God in first, determines sometimes whether we receive God's blessing or not in an area. And this was the principle we looked at, that if you want to experience greater blessing from God, you need to put God first. If you do not put God first, you will not experience God's full blessing. And uh, A.W. Tozer, we looked at this as well, it just sums it up so well. He says this, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved. And you want some problems solved in your marriage? The answer is to put God first. You need problems solved in our financial world? The answer is to put God first. You need problems solved in your emotional life. The answer begins by putting God first because when you put God first, God's supernatural power begins to work blessing in your life. In Matthew 6, we also looked at this text. Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Maybe today you're worrying about other things besides those things. Uh, but for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So he's talking about people who are worried about a lot of things. I got to need your blessing in my food, and, and I need your blessing in my clothing. I need blessing. I need blessing. Now, what was Jesus' answer? It wasn't, well, you just got to work harder. Well, it just means you got to try harder. You need a bit more. No, his answer was very clear. But seek first his kingdom. Not when you have time, not when you get this project done. Seek first the kingdom of God now and seek his righteousness. Walk in obedience. And then, he says, all these things will be given to you as well. This is talking about blessing from God so that you can be a blessing to others. When you put God first, blessing comes. When you do not put God first, you put yourself first, there are times when God's supernatural power can actually work against you as we looked at a few texts in uh, the scriptures last week. And so with that, today we are going to talk about putting God first financially. And, uh, and if this is your first time in this church or new to this church, you're like, oh, here we go. See, the church always talks about money. Actually, I don't. I, don't, I mean, it's probably been well over a year, maybe two years since I've actually talked about money. Uh, and it is something that probably needs to be talked about more because Jesus talks about it a lot and the Bible talks it about, it, about it a lot. And so don't think it's something we always talk about. But we do see this often in the scriptures. About 500 times in the Bible, you see faith mentioned. About 500 times, you see the idea of prayer mentioned. And both of those are really important. But there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible dealing with money and possessions. And so it's something we ought to talk about because it's in here. And one of the reasons we must talk about it when it comes to this idea of putting God first is because what you do with your finances shouts volumes, whether we like it or not. It shouts volumes about whether God is actually first or not in your life. And this is not coming from me. This is coming from Jesus. Let's read what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, 
For where your treasure is, and this could be more than finances, it could be time, it could be energy, whatever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now notice what he does not say, because some people misquote this. Some people say, well, where your heart is, there your treasure is going to be. That's not what Jesus says. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is going to be. And sometimes people are like, I just don't know why just, my heart for Jesus is just not where it used to be. The, one of the first questions, where's your treasure? Where's your time and your energy and your money going? If it's flowing towards Jesus in the kingdom, I tell you, your heart is there. And some of you, your heart is so for Jesus because you've actually decided, I am going to put God first in every area of my life, including my finances. And he goes on and says, no one can serve two masters. But we love to try, don't we? I mean, I try sometimes. Like, well, I can serve money and I can serve... Uh, but Jesus is always right, not me. Uh, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. And one of the only ways we can break the God of money is to learn to be generous and to give. We never, will never, ever, ever, you will never, ever learn to break the God of money unless you learn to be generous. You'll just become more self-devoured, you'll just use it for yourself, and you'll just end up having your heart in the wrong place. And if your heart is not with Jesus in the kingdom because your treasure is not there, you cannot expect to experience great blessing from God. Now, sometimes God, again, does that. We talked about that last week. Sometimes His kindness leads us to, to repentance. Sometimes He just blesses us anyways. We can't expect that. Now, there's a bunch of reasons why we should be financially generous, and we could do a whole series on this, but I'm just going to do one message on this. Uh, God commands it uh, to show my love for God. It focuses my heart on Jesus and His kingdom to show that I am thankful, to show my love for his church and further the kingdom of God, to store up heavenly rewards, makes me more like God, and to open a door for God to bless me. And this last one is the one I want to talk about today because this fits into our series, that giving financially opens a door for God's blessing upon your life. And here's our principle for today. When you put God first in your finances, you open up doors for God to bless you. When you do not put God first financially, you close doors for Him to bless you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start in the Old Testament and I'm going to work back in to the New Testament as we look at this idea that when we put God first in our finances, we open up doors for blessing. Malachi chapter 3 says this. Some of you are like, oh, the Malachi passes. Yes, the Malachi. Though I may approach this in a little bit different way than you've heard before. Return to me, Jesus say, or God says, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. These are people who were maybe feeling distant, were not living fully for God, and God says, return to me, and then I will return to you. And whenever God returns to us, you know, blessing comes. This is New Testament principle. James said to Christians, come near to me, and I will come near to you. If you're feeling distant from God today, there's your answer. And sometimes people are like, I just don't feel God moving. I just don't hear his voice very well. Are you coming to church? Are you connecting with him daily just by spending quiet time, connecting, listening, hearing, worshiping him? Are you putting effort into drawing? If, if you're not, you're going to feel distant. 
It's just the way it works. When you draw near to God, he draws near to you. And so he says in a very New Testament way, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now what is interesting is how he tells them to return. Because often we would think, well, if you want to return, like things I mentioned, you should come to church, you should join a small group, you should be connecting with Jesus every day, you should be thinking about, we talk about those kinds, and those things are perfect and wonderful and good. But God here mentions finances. You're feeling distant? Return to me, and now how? Put your financial world in order. Put me first in your, and this may be one of the reasons why some of us might feel distant. We're doing all these other things. We're reading the Bible and we're, we're blessing God and we're serving Him, but our financial world is not in line with the kingdom. And so he goes on and says, uh, but, they, but these people ask, well, how are we to return? How are we to do it? How are we to draw near to you, God? How are we connect in a better way? How can we experience more of your blessing? And then he says this, uh, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And the word tithe Found about 40 times in the Bible, always means a tenth, meaning a tenth of, of their income. And their income in those days was like cattle, sheep, and, and their stuff from their farm and those kind of things. And offerings, which were any kind of giving that was over above the 10, 10%. Now he says to these people that you're robbing me. Now what's really interesting is when you really think about this is how in the world do you rob a God who owns everything? I don't think you can because... Even if someone takes it from someone else, I mean, God still owns it. God owns everything. Even if you say it's yours, God owns everything, the Bible says. Everything that we have is His. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 50, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, and God has no need of your money either. God's not saying, I just need your money. I just can't do anything. I'm so, because they're stealing from me, I have nothing. He's not up there. He owns it all anyways. Even if you so-called steal it, just like that, he could take it from you. I mean, God owns everything. How do you rob from somebody who owns everything? I have no need of a bull from your stall or a goat from your pens for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field. They are, they are mine. And even when it comes to his work, God's not like, oh, so-and-so is not giving. It's like, now what am I going to do? God can make a way. He owns everything. I mean, you remember the story of Elijah during this drought that he prayed for and it actually happened. He was up on this mountain and, 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 and there was nobody bringing him food and he was God's messenger and God wasn't like, well, nobody's given to Elijah. Now he's just going to die. God owns everything. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. I mean, you can't steal from a God who owns everything. You can get food from a bird and he can make water flow from a rock. And as Jesus said, he can even make rocks cry out and praise Jesus if we don't do it. How can you rob from a God who owns everything? And I think what he is talking about, we can't be for sure, but I think what he is saying here, because if you look at the context, it seems to be what he's saying, is that we can rob God of an opportunity to bless us. We can rob God of an opportunity to bless us. And this seems to be what he is saying in this text. Look what he says. You are under a curse. In other words, my supernatural power is actually working against you, God says. 
Why? Again, because they were not giving. Because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will, and here it is, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed because God wants to bless them so they can bless them to the nations. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God is saying, I can't bless you. My supernatural power is working against you, but if you would just put me first in your finances, I'm going to pour out so much blessing on you. We can rob God of an opportunity to bless us when we don't put him first in any area of our life, but today we're talking about finances. We see this. If we continue the story of Elijah who had the ravens come, and then his little book, brook uh, dried up, it says this. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. And so the prophet is saying to you, Bring me some food, because God is behind this, and he's directing this. Now surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I, I, we don't have any food left. I have enough for me and my son. We're going to make it and then I'm going to die. I mean, talk about not having your financial world blessed, right? But look what the prophet says. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. And I tell you, if you're in extreme debt today or you're just having your financial world just pushing in on you, don't be afraid. There is a God who owns everything, and there is a God who is amazing at turning things around. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, remember last week we talked about the principle of first fruits? Put God first. But first, he says, make a small loaf of bread for me, and what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and yourself she said i only have enough for me but he says make the bread for me first give it to me first for this is what the lord the god of israel says the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the lord sends rain on the land and this is what happened she goes home she's got nothing she says i'm going to give this prophet i'm going to give god and his kingdom the first of this little bread and what happened the rest was blessed. She never, ever ran out again. And I hear story after story of people who say, you know, I put God first in my finances. Things just turn around. Because when you put God first in your financial world, his hand of blessing falls on your financial world. When you don't put him first, his hand of blessing is not on your financial world. And you might be saying, well, that's fine. Well, maybe this is just, just this is not for me because I'm, I'm poor. I just don't make a lot of money. It's not for me. Do you know when Jesus spoke, he was talking to poor people? 
the people in Jesus' day were 99% poorer than like all of us in North America. You know why Jesus said, when he says, you know, people were worried about what shall we eat, what shall we wear? Because they actually were. Every day, most people in Jesus' day had a, to figure out what they were going to eat. That's who he's talking to when he says, put your treasure in the kingdom. You can't serve God, both God and money. This is not about rich and poor. This is about all of us. To this widow who had nothing left, God said, I want you to put me first. Because when you put me first, there is this hand of blessing that falls on. And it's, and, it's, and it's interesting how God can just, even when you're poor, he can make your washing machine just keep going and going and going. You know how these people said in the book of Malachi, you know, just why is my land cursor last week? Why, why does it seem like there's holes in my pocket? And, and why does it seem I'm working so hard, but I have nothing to show for it? It's interesting how, and I've noticed this in my life, whenever I've gotten afraid, you know, God, I can't give the tithe this month. I mean, it's, that's when, like, my washing machine breaks down. It seems like God just gets it anyways, right? I mean, there's something that happens when his hand of blessing is on your financial world. Proverbs 3 says the same thing. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, this is a word we took, looked, looked at last week, the first fruits of your crop. Go to God. Then, then your barns will be o- filled to overflowing and your vats will be brimming over with new wine. This does not say if you just try to get through your month and if I have a little bit left over, I'll give it to God, then my vats are going to be overflowing. No, it says first fruits. First fruits go to God, then your barns will be overflowing. Malachi 3 again, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be room enough to store it. And this is not just financial blessing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's other blessing. Sometimes someone will just give you something or you just, this extreme spiritual blessing. But notice Malachi says, test me. And this is the only place in the entire scriptures where God says, test me in this. Every other time it's a sin. Do not test the Lord your God. But God is so serious about this because we're so afraid in this area. He says, test me. Just test me. Test me in this. Pastor Robert Morris, one of the most amazing givers that I have ever heard of, said this. Every tither I have spoken with has given me a similar testimony. And every non-tither has also given me a similar testimony. But the non-tither's testimony is different from those who tithe. Without exception, tithers say, I'm blessed, or God has blessed me. They all give the testimony that God is blessing them. In contrast, every non-tither I have ever spoken with gives this testimony, I can't afford to tithe. And the reason, 90% blessed by God goes way further than 100% not blessed by God. 90% blessed by God goes way further than 100% not blessed by God. Now, some of you are saying, oh, this is the law. We were new covenant Christians. This is not the law. Let's talk about that. We do. This, this is a debatable issue, for sure. There are some people who think it's still for today and, and, and some who don't think it's for today. Those who think it's still for today would quote various things, but they would point to before the law, Genesis 14, it talked about Abraham giving a tithe before the law. We see in the New Testament, though this is before the outpouring of pouring of the Holy Spirit, 
the, you know, the only positive thing Jesus said to the Pharisees was that they tithed. He says to the, to the Pharisees, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important thing. The only good thing he said to them is, that's great, you're tithing, keep doing that. And this should maybe be enough for us if Jesus says this, yes, you should tithe. But here's the deal. To me, it doesn't matter. It does not matter whether you think this is part of the law or not. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't change it. The only reason people, I think, wrestle with this is because we're afraid to give God our money. The only people who have come to me and said, this is, this is law, this is not new covenant, are people who are trying to wiggle out of being generous. That's almost always the case. Now, sometimes they just want to argue theology, and that's the case, but usually we want to find some sort of loophole to get out so we can keep more money for ourselves because we're, and I'm like that, we're just selfish. We see new, uh, new um, early church fathers uh, supported the idea of the tithe. Clement of Alexandria and Irenaeus uh, were urging their church to give the tithe and over above the tithe. But here's the thing. When it comes to the law, Jesus said this. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is, is partly talking about the idea of imputed righteousness for Christ, but in context, he's actually talking about holy living. He's saying that our righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees who were people who obeyed the law perfectly. And then Jesus goes right on to tell us how. He says things like this, you have heard that it was said in the law, you shall not commit adultery. But he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his heart. And he goes on to say, you have heard it in the Old Testament, the law, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, you should not even be angry at your brother. Jesus did not take the law and lessen it. He took the law and he says, now because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm raising the bar when it comes to us being generous and loving people and loving God, I'm raising the bar. And so whether you think the tithe is law or not, it doesn't matter. We should never, ever, you could just never come to the conclusion that we, under this new covenant with the blood of Jesus saving us for our sins, that we somehow can give less than people in the old covenant. In fact, Randy Elkhorn, I think, said it just well. He said this, to me, giving less than a tithe is simply not an option. Now, I say, sometimes you got to work up to it. I mean, don't just like, whoa, sometimes you got to do some adjustments, okay? Something you got to let God lead lead in your life. To me, giving less than a tithe is simply not an option. Someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account of my life, as it says in Romans 14, 12. On that day, I do not want to have to explain why, being indwelt with the Holy Spirit and having lived in the most affluent nation in human history, I have failed to give at the very minimal level of those who did not have the indwelling spirit and who owned far less than I. That's truth, and it's hard. It's very hard truth. I mean, we are very self-absorbed. I mean, Jesus, again, the whole scripture is talking to poorer people, and, and this is a difficult thing to understand, but the issue is not, is this law or not law? The issue is, is your heart generous? Now, what's kind of reality is actually sad in some ways. Christians now are giving at a rate of 2.5% per capita per person. But during the Great Depression, they actually gave more. 
You know, Christians were more generous during the Great Depression than, they, than we are now. I mean, again, this is not an issue of whether we're rich or poor. This is, this is a hard issue. Uh, I mean, I mean, we got, we got to grow in this. We, we all got to grow in this. And, and I think we as a church are doing a little better. Now, I have no idea who gives what here. They keep that from me. In fact, we try to keep that from each other. There's only one person in our church who knows what you give. That's the person who does the tax receipts. But I do look at, like, giving units and numbers sometimes. And in, in our church, I think we do a little better than average, but we have about 10 people, some of those are families, who tithe. If you just look at the numbers, you can kind of tell who is tithing or not. In this whole church, we have maybe 150 people who call this church their name. There's about 10 people who give a tithe to this church. There's about another 10 who give somewhere between $100 and $200. And so, do you know this whole thing, the whole mission that we're running on is really 20 people or 20 families. Uh, and that's probably better than average, but I was like, man, we, we can grow in this. And sometimes I sit back and I just dream, like, what would it be like if we as Christians across this globe got this and just said, man, I just want, you've given me so much. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put this first. You know what happened? Oh, someone figured this out. That's what they said. If believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, 10%, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. Here's just a few things the church could do with that kind of money. 25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than a dollar per day. One billion could fully fund all overseas work, and 100 to 110 billion was left over could, would be used uh, for additional ministry expansion. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. Sometimes I say, well, why don't you amazing if we just, just decided to really engage in this as followers of Jesus? And so here's the point. Would, would you give God an opportunity to bless you? We can rob God of an opportunity to bless us. Give God an opportunity to bless you. And this is all over the scripture, this idea. Another passage here, 2 Corinthians 9. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And he's talking in the context of finances, by the way. You put in a little towards the kingdom, you're going to reap a little. You put in more, you're going to just reap more blessing. When you give God and put him first financially, you open up doors for God to bless you. And then it goes right on to say, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Don't we want that? Man, I want that. Then it's about sowing. Sowing, putting the kingdom of God first. I think we'll skip this here. We'll hit these two verses though. Luke 16. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, as Jesus speaking, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, talking about God's property, who will give you property of your own? I mean, everything we have is God's. And God is saying, if you can't be trusted with the amount I've given you and you just use it all for myself, how am I going to pour out more blessing? I'm not going to pour out more blessing. But when I see you faithful, 
This is when I'm going to pour out blessing. Luke 6 says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Breathe, eh? (laughs) Next week, we'll get on to lighter things. Let's wrap this up. So types of giving. We see in the Bible there are tithes. It's talking about 10%. Uh, of our income. There's offerings, offerings given above the 10%, and then there are sacrificial gifts, and we see that throughout the scriptures. The widow who puts in the two mites, all that she owns. Mary putting a year's worth of wage on Jesus' feet. Solomon offering, the law was one bull, he offers a thousand bulls. Sacrificial offerings. And God calls us to these. Uh, These three different offerings, the most sacrificial offering of all is God giving his son Jesus. And the Bible says we love because he first loved us. And we give because he's first given to us. Now what does this look like practically? It's like, well, I got my life, and what does this look like practically? Well, I'll just share what we do in, in, in our family. In our family, and this is, this is something, they even say, well, Jesse does this, I need to do this. Take this home and listen to God. What is God asking you to do? He may ask all of us to do something a little differently. But for us, uh, I do believe that we are still supposed to tithe, and so I, my tithe is pretty strict. Whenever any income comes in, because of first fruits, the very first check I write is to God. If I sell something, my salary, I get my paycheck, if uh, we get a little money from child tax credit or whatever it is, the first 10% before it goes anywhere, I write a check, put it in my offering envelope, stick it in my desk so I can bring it to church. The first fruits. And I tithe personally off um, the gross because I don't think the government gets first fruits. I think God does. Now, this, people look at that differently. That's between you and God. And so my tithe comes here, and, and, and I'm quite convinced that our uh, and I think I can make a biblical argument that our, that our tithes should come to your place of worship. And if this is not your place of worship, then don't give here. Give to where you worship. Uh, the, but the first fruits come into the storehouse, into the church. And so my tithe comes here. And then there are offerings, those things that are over and above the tithe. Uh, these can go other places. And so Marie and I, we support three different missionary families. We also support uh, two compassion children. And those are above our tithe. Uh, and those go to other places. Tithe comes here, offerings go to other places, and then there are times when God calls us to offer sacrificial gifts. Like I know we were behind budget this year uh, in June, and, and God laid it on my part to give a double tithe that month. Everything we brought in to double it, and, and sometimes God has called people to amazing sacrificial giving. But here's the thing, and I do this every year, if my salary, or any of those things, I sit down and God, say, God, what do you want me to give this year? And probably once a month, I say, God, is there anything you want me to change in my giving? Because the, the worst thing that I could do is to not put God first financially. The worst thing you can do is to not put him financially. I mean, I need God's blessing. Because on my own, I'm miserable. I'm a miserable pastor when I don't put God first. And, and, and I need to put him first in every area. And so, man, I strive. That, and, and my desire is that all of you would be people who just say, I'm going to put God first in every. And if you're afraid, it's why God says, test me. Test me. Give me a shot. Let's see what I can do. And test him. And if he blows it, well, you can, you know, talk to God about that, I guess. But, but I want to finish today. I know it's, uh, I guess it's not getting that late yet. I want to a six-minute video of Robert Morris 
Because this guy has taught me more about giving than anything else. If you want to read an amazing book, it's called a book called, I should have put it in your notes, but it's called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. And here's, he's just sharing about just uh, uh, sacrificial giving and the kind of giving that God has, what he's done in his life. About, about 30 years ago, I was traveling and, and speaking, and I was doing a lot of youth events. I was young, and I was speaking to youth events, and I would kind of do like a youth-led service or something like that. And when I would speak, this is the only income I had. I never asked for any money, but I would speak, and the church would give me an offering. And no matter what it was, that was our income. And one month, I had one meeting, one speaking engagement for the whole month. And it was about 60 people. That was was it. And I also, at that time, I already had an employee, a, a staff person that was taking care of setting up these meetings. I had an office, so I had some expenses. So I went to speak at this very small church. I never asked them for anything, never mentioned about giving an offering or anything. And the the pastor said, let's give this young man an offering. And after the service, we were standing like right in front of the platform here. Again, a very small church, smaller than this section even right here. And um, the pastor came to me and they had counted the offering. And he said, look at this, look at this. He said, we've never given this much. He was very excited. And he said, look at this amount. And I looked at it and it was enough for the whole month. Now, remember, I, I didn't have any other speaking engagements that's, that month. And I remember thinking, God, you are so amazing. One speaking engagement, and it's enough for the whole month. And while I'm standing there talking to the pastor, I glanced over his shoulder, and at the back of the building, I saw this missionary that had spoken right before I spoke. And this voice said to me, give him the offering. Just like that. And I remember exactly what I thought. Here's what I thought. Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) That's not God. That's not God. But the Lord kept saying, give him the offering, give him the offering. And so I went to him afterwards. I endorsed the check. I gave the missionary the offering. Debbie and I walked outside, uh, uh, you know, of the building. And there were some couples standing around. And one of them said, hey, we're going to go get some pizza would you guys like to go with us? And we said, yes. And of course, the reason we said yes is, you know, because uh, we were broke, you know. And so we said, yes, we'd love to go. And so we went and there were six couples, including Debbie and me. And so the six guys sat on one end of the table. You, you've seen how we do this sometimes. So the guys can talk, you know, and the six ladies sat on the other end of the table. So if you see this in your, in your mind, I'm seated at the end of the table and then there's two guys and then there's two women, and then Debbie. Debbie's at the end of the table. And these four guys started talking, and all of a sudden, the guy across from the table just kind of leaned over like that, you know, to talk to me, to say something. So I kind of leaned over. I I didn't know what he was going to say. And he said to me, how much was the offering? Just like that. And so I told him how much it was. And it wasn't, it, it, was, uh, it wasn't like a round number with zeros at the end. It had dollars and cents, you know, because some people had given so much and all. And so I, I told him the offering. And then he said to me, where's the check? Just like that. And, and, and I didn't want to brag. I didn't want to say, uh, we gave it to a missionary, you know, or something like that. But I didn't know what to say. And I was kind of confused. I didn't know why this guy was asking me this. And so I just kind of heard myself say, Debbie has it. And he said, go get it. I want to see it. So I said, okay. And so I got up and I walked down where my wife was seated and I said to her, 
how's your pizza? Is it good? Okay, good, okay. Because there's nothing else to say. There's no check, you know. I've given it away. And I came back. I know you're supposed to tell the truth, but I didn't want to tell him that we gave it away. And I didn't know why he was asking me this. So I I, I just said, it's in the car. And I thought, you know, it's in some car, you know, the missionary's car, but it's in the car. So I said, it's in the car. And he said, it's not in the car. So I said, where is it? You know? I mean, you know so much, pal. You know, I I didn't know why this guy was questioning me like this. And all of a sudden he said to me, you gave it away, didn't you? And I said, how do you know I gave it away? And he said, because God told me. And he pulled, he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a check that he had written before he came to church that night. And he opened it up and it was made out to our ministry. And he opened it up and it was exactly 10 times the check that I had just given away. 10 times. And he held it out like this and he said, here, take this. And he was holding the top of it. I reached out and I took the bottom of it, but he wouldn't let it go. (laughs) And I realized he wanted to say something to me. I now realize he wanted to impart something to me. So I'm holding the bottom and he's holding the top. And he said to me, God's about to teach you about giving so you can teach the body of Christ. And he let the check go. And here's what I thought when when he let that check go, I thought, this is God's money. This is God's money. It's not mine. I'm the steward of it. What, God, what do you want me to do with this? We, we bought a, a single mother a car that didn't have a car. We paid for a guy's salary who was out of work for a few months before he got another job. We bought a missionary car. We started giving, and God started bringing funds into us from places we didn't even know that funds would come in. We never asked for money. I never stood up and told this story from the pulpit and, and asked people to give me money. We never asked. We never manipulated. But we started giving. And as we continued to give, God began to give us. He found someone that he could just channel funds through that would be faithful. Debbie and I got to the place where we were giving 70% of our income to the Lord. And we just continued to give to the Lord. And then if you want to pick up his book, it's called The Blessed Life. But he has given away his house, he's given away cars. It's amazing uh, what God has done through uh, Robert and Morris is his name. He's a good example in that. Last two scriptures. The righteous give generously and a generous person will prosper. I'm going to invite the worship team up and uh, we're going to enter into our ministry time. And if you need prayer for any reason, if you have emotional needs, you, have, uh, you need physical healing in your body, you need blessing in your life in an area, you have a friend who needs prayer, whatever it might be, the prayer team is going to be over in the corner here, and you can just go up there, and they'll be happy to pray for you. If they're praying with somebody, you can just wait, and they will uh, get to you. Uh, If you have a need, don't let yourself go from here without being prayed for. Uh, The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask, and uh, we've seen some tremendous things. In fact, we had a couple of people healed physically last week. Uh, during our prayer over there. And so make sure if you need prayer to come over and to be prayed for. Uh, We're going to be playing two more songs as a worship team. If you just want to spend time in the presence of Jesus and worship Him and thank Him, you're welcome to do that. If you uh, need ministry in terms of fellowship with someone else, uh, the coffee bar will be open. You can head out into the foyer and, and minister to one another there. So God, we just offer ourselves to you as we enter into our ministry time. 
God, we offer ourselves as we talk with one another, as we worship you and just thank you for all that you've done and all that you, uh, who you are. Uh, God, make us people who put you first. Help us to, to learn how to walk in your uh, will and your blessing. And God, I, we just leave this time in your hands and pray that your Holy Spirit would do his mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.